host. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I interviewed two seance experts who are making a point to bring visibility and awareness to the unseen. Often a topic shrouded in secrecy, the Eckharts bring this conversation out into the open, both so that other weird people can feel less alone in this world, and so that a variety of people can have real experiences of contacting spirits. If you're interested in the paranormal or can relate to being a witness of normatively unseen layers of reality, you'll enjoy this episode. We also discuss death and the death positivity movement, a movement I'd not heard of before meeting this otherworldly couple. The famous line, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy comes to mind for me as I think about what it means to share space with people who see things that are not ordinarily included in one's existing worldview or the mainstream worldview. It's expanding. A lot of us on this podcast, um, you know, listeners and also people who appear on the podcast live with or are extremely intimate with the more fringe experiences of metaphysical, cosmological, spiritual life. The Eckharts are seance hosts, mediums, and celebrity occultists obsessed with exploring what lies beyond the veil. Through their work, the Eckharts strive to share their love of the paranormal by showing that spirit communication can be exciting, mystical, and ultimately accessible to us all. And a few announcements before we begin. In May of 2021, the next upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive begins. This is my signature course offering to introduce you to the world of evolutionary astrology, which is a soul and karmic-based astrology based in reincarnation and looking at the chart from a perspective of what we've brought into this life karmically from prior lives and how our soul is evolving specifically through the vehicle of this current incarnation, how everything that you've experienced in your life is just the grounds, just the material for you to continue this ongoing journey of your soul and looking into Pluto and the lunar nodes at a technical level for a deeper understanding of what compels and motivates you in life, and what are the ways that you've tended to bond with those motivations through your personality, through how you show up to life, and what might be an anchor for you in this life or something to direct yourself toward developing. And of course, we also explore all of the archetypes of the zodiac and the planets and learn how to read it all in a chart in a way that has a really expansive and compassionate context where we build relationships to all of the archetypes and explore them each as deep mysteries and wisdom schools. This will be the eighth run of the course. It keeps getting richer and deeper and there are many reviews and testimonials on the course page from students of this course um, who are always, you know, there's always such a transformation or a, a deepening of life and really an opening that comes from studying this material. Um, 
often more than we previously imagined because we literally explore archetypes that relate to the beyond (laughs) and like things, you know, like the outer planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. So if you enjoy the astrology content that I share, if you enjoy my vision of astrology and feel a connection with it, if you enjoy the content that I share in general, that's a pretty good indicator that you would resonate with the content in the course. The course modules are pre-recorded, but we also meet every week as a group to discuss the material and get to know each other. And the course culminates in us reading each other's charts. So there's definitely a community that assembles of people with like-minded, you know, interest in depth, spiritual, soul-based astrology. And I just love it. And I am really excited to be doing it again. And if you feel called, if you feel drawn to study astrology with me, check the link in the notes for the course page where you can read more about it, read student testimonials and enroll. Another piece of news I have is that my fiction novel, The Garden of Sleeping Hammers is coming out late this spring. And a few episodes back, you can find a special reading of the first two chapters in audio format. um, And the book will be coming out pretty soon. I'm really excited to share it with you. And those are my announcements for now. Let's get into this episode and I'm sure you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome. I'm here with the Eckharts. I'm so excited to have you on the show and to bring a topic that hasn't been discussed to Magic of the Spheres yet. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having us. We're glad to be here. So I'm curious to start out with, you know, how both of you met and how it evolved to doing seances together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a long story. We've been um, together for almost 10 years. In September, it'll be 10 years. And we met the first day of college. Yeah, we um, met in orientation and we instantly had like this really crazy deep rapport that I've never really experienced with anyone else. And there was a, just a a sense of easiness and a sense of knowing between the two of us. I think I even remarked to you on like the second day that we were together that I felt like I knew you for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And there was something unusual about our meeting in that we went to a private Christian school Um, that was very heavily like evangelical, very conservative. And so people didn't talk about weird stuff. People like we later found out there were people who were quote unquote weird there who uh, had like weird experiences or paranormal experiences. Um, But you didn't really talk about that with your peers. And we both kind of had those interests, um, but we didn't really know to talk about it with each other. We just felt very comfortable. Mm -hmm. And although I wouldn't say uh, at the time when I met Kat that like, I felt like I had known her from past lives as I got more interested in the occult and esoterra, I feel like maybe that was in fact the case. Like there was just this incredible familiarity between the two of us. Yeah. um, I I'm pretty reserved as a person when I first meet someone and on like the second day, I was leaning my head on his shoulder and sleeping on his shoulder yeah. uh, during a very boring section of orientation. And that was just because 
I immediately felt so comfortable with him. And so like within two weeks, we were officially dating. <laughs> yeah. And everyone assumed like, oh, well, this is something that, you know, won't last. You met the first day of college and you're already dating. And then we just never like really stopped. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, um, kind of grew our relationship and then also had like weird experiences that I think kind of pulled the two of us together more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a haunted house. Um, I'd had a lot of experiences around that specifically and a lot of experiences trying to justify and rectify that with like the faith that I was raised in. And then, um, Kat had an experience in that house that was super validating and mm-hmm. something I had not shared with her because who talks about growing up in a haunted house in a room full of evangelicals? You don't do that. Yeah, not generally, but it was validating for me too, because it's my first, that was my first paranormal experience, but I'd always felt like connected to the more than human world through usually nature and like just kind of this belief in a spirit world that just, I hadn't seen manifest until I, till that day on your house. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. This is, um, one, I just love the story. It feels kind of kismet that you met the first day of college. And I'm kind of even imagining like all of the synchronicities that had to go into applying to that school and deciding that's where you're going to go. And then just meeting on the first day, like just feels really magical. I'm curious to hear more about Mm -hmm. the haunted house and what was that first experience of like for you, Kat, seeing the seeing something paranormal. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll start with my introduction to it, which was, there was no introduction. There was no, okay, (laughs) let's come in here and there might be some weird stuff. I just, I just assumed this was a normal house. So I, one, I think evening, I went into Dan's room And when I turned around, I saw some sort of shadowy figure standing in the doorway and I kind of freaked out. And I think I looked away. And then when I looked back, I couldn't see it, but I could feel that it was still there. And I was really, I panicked, I think pretty quickly. And then Daniel was there comforting, comforting me. And I, I guess for, for a little while afterwards, I just figured I had temporarily gone crazy. (laughs) Um, and then finally you told me, yeah, this is not super new. No. Um, it was the only house I really remembered because I lived in the house for a very, for almost my whole life. Uh, up until that point, I hadn't moved around as a child and, I had had a lot of weird experiences in that space, which at the time I had no reference for or no frame of opinion on. Um, I was always fascinated by like ghost stories and fantasy and the idea of magic. I was a weird kid and had like a lot of magical experiences. Um, There was like an element to life that felt like I was kind of falling backwards through it, um, where there was experiences where just kind of, it was about like trusting the process or just this implicit like childlike idea that things could be the way you wanted them to be. Um, To the point where as a kid, I remember distinct occasions where I would go to like the mirror in my bedroom. And if something wasn't right, something didn't go well, kids were mean at school or like a test went poorly or like there was just like 
weird childhood angst. I had this implicit idea that if I like imagined jumping through this mirror, I could go to a place that was just like the place I was in, except without that issue, that thing, that, um, that wow. negative component. And then later you realize, well, that's just like mirror magic manifestation. Like you're just, that's what that is. But as a kid, I had no real frame of reference for that. And there was always this sense um, growing up of like weird stuff in my room that really freaked me out as a kid, like night terrors, like terrible images and dreams of things like tall shadowy things standing outside my window looking in at me or in the bedroom with me um to the point where all the way through like all the way up until college i was terrified of that room um and i wasn't afraid of the dark it wasn't that but i had this terrible experience weekly bi-weekly with weird things invaders in the night kind of stuff. And I gravitated towards this idea of like, you know, I was fascinated by this idea of like aliens and that kind of thing because it was on, it was on the history channel, the discovery channel. Like it was something I was aware of. It scared the bejesus out of me, but I couldn't stop engaging with the concept because it was so, there was just something about it that was so stick with it, stick, sticks to your mind, sticks to your memory. Mm -hmm. And as a kid growing up in like evangelical Christianity, the only like real frame of reference for that is, well, then it's like, you know, aliens aren't real. Uh, magic isn't real. So it's clearly just demons, which is even more terrifying to any child, like to be told, oh no, this is either all in your head or it's demons coming to get you. Um, terrifying. So now looking back, I wonder if like, you know, reading the works of like Graham, Graham Hancock and like initiatory experiences throughout world cultures. Like if there was some kind of magical initiatory process going on that I had no memory of, or no idea of how to contextualize and then fed it with like negative, like ideas around what it was. So the experience became negative over time. And that's like a magical metaphysics kind of conversation. But I thought I was alone. In it, in, in my in my entirety of my being, I thought I was alone because no one else really had that experience in my space, in my room, and everyone told me that I was like, you know, watched too many sci-fi movies, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You were just imagining, yeah. yeah. And then Kat saw it. Yeah, I am just loving this. <laughs> what? Sorry, it took us years to process the experience. So what was the, how did this transform into like owning it so fully and making it part of like your life path? Yeah, I think what really needed to happen was us opening our mindset a little bit and experiencing and learning different things about occult philosophy and magic. That, that I think was the way we came into it was just learning about this new exciting thing through some of the um, occult speakers, occult leaders of our time. Yeah. There's, you know, the internet is like the world's biggest grimoire because everything is out there. And there was a 
interest I'd always had since being a little kid in magic and like in the occult. And I had like that collection of like 20th century mysteries. And there was like, or like 20 marvels of the 20th century. And it was like a reader's digest, like hardback series compendium that I got gifted to me. And one of those books was on like the pyramids and like the golden dawn and Philema and Aleister Crowley and chaos magic. And like, it was presented from like a reader's digest perspective of like, huh, look at these quaint ideas. And as soon as we finish talking about, you know, the Freemasons, we'll talk about a uh, spontaneous combustion and like how crazy that is. But the, the art, the imagery, the, the hints at secrets beyond like really fascinated me. And then with the ease of internet access, like you can just kind of crack that stuff open. You it's, it's a lot easier to fall into exploring that world because people were posting about it. There were podcasts about it. Uh, Gordon White's rune soup was like foundational for me because of how interesting and compelling the, the discussion was. And then that plugged so neatly into that terrifying experience of living in like what felt like a haunted house was instead of being like the victim of it, there were techniques, there were tools for banishing or for communicating with these things. And you didn't just have to cower in fear of them. You could interact with them and you could tell them to leave you alone, or you could ask them to do things for you. And that just, you know, opens up worlds of possibilities. Mm -hmm. As we started to dig deeper, um, it started to give us a lot of the tools we needed to be better selves <laughs> yeah. and to validate our experience of a non-material world. Yeah. How easy or not easy was it to let go of the like religious conditioning? It's still happening. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is identifying where it's tripping you up and where you want to start um, deconstructing those ideas that have shaped the way you live in the world, the way you see your world, um, so many different things. And it's been a process of slowly identifying where those things are influencing you and then adapting or adopting patterns to address that. Yeah. There's something about the certainty of especially like the fundamentalist religion that I was raised in, where it was black and white, easy to understand. It's all in, in this case, in the Bible, but I imagine any fundamentalist religious expression is this way, where you have all the answers and everyone else does not. And it's super easy. Um, that concept is one that's somewhat difficult to begin to let go of. And then also learning to exist in just that, I don't know. Um, and that's what I found so interesting specifically around our seance work is sometimes people ask us about spirits that are communicating with them. Like, well, where are they? And it's weird because spirits seem to indicate that they're wherever they want to be, that there's, there's no agreement amongst spirits about like, Oh, well, I'm in heaven or, Oh, well, I'm here or, Oh, well, I'm in this collective consciousness or, Oh, I'm reincarnating. Like that is always diffuse and somewhat unclear. And seems to indicate that reality is what we make it to an extent, or that there's some kind of consciousness survival that is dependent on what the consciousness itself kind of integrates and believes. And not getting those clear answers is super, um, sometimes super frustrating, but also sometimes super 
like healing for me because there's that element of, well, it's okay to not know. <laughs> it's okay to exist in a liminal space in a space of uncertainty. And that uncertainty in and of itself is, can be very comforting. I love that. That's like a good message for our times too. I feel like that's um, a message that a lot of people would need is just like being okay with uncertainty because if we're not, then we try to kind of latch on to or kind of close in on something for our security, but it may not be true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to hear more about like what seances are and why, you know, you, you enjoy them. When we talked about them beforehand briefly, uh, you were telling me kind of about the difference between simply being like a medium and like going ahead and doing the ceremony or the ritual of the seance. So like why the seance essentially. Mm-hmm. So like why the seance is such a great question because we get it a lot and we get it from, I think people who are, uh, identify as mediums and Kat and I do, uh, we are mediums. We have, um, ex- we are a medium by which spirit communicates, but we get questions sometimes from people who are like, well, I'm a medium. So why would I ever do a seance? Like what's the, aren't seances just kind of like a vestigial, like component of spirit contact. And we're past all that now. And for me, the seance is such a, we view it as a ritual. Uh, we're not spiritualists and we should say that up front. while we feel like the spiritualist movement was a profoundly fascinating one and a productive one and probably net positive for both spirit contact and the occult in general, we don't identify with the spiritualist church. Um, however, we view seance as ritual. Uh, it is a component where, where everyone who sits around that seance table, everyone who joins or digitally joins us through Zoom is reaching out with the intent, magical purpose and ritual intent of contacting the beyond. And what happens in those cases is like what happens, I suppose, in any coven where all of a sudden we're involved in a mutual expression of intent. And that's almost like a supercharger or a megaphone for um, spirit. So people who are practicing mediums seem to have stronger mediumistic experiences and stronger messages. People who have never had any kind of spirit contact before are all of a sudden feeling things, hearing things, receiving messages, seeing Mm -hmm. things. Um, And there's that exploratory component where you might bring someone to the table or to the experience who you know, is extremely adept at evidential mental mediumship, like maybe cat. Um, and then someone who doesn't have that experience, but is an automatic writer and maybe never classified automatic writing explicitly as mediumship, but they're very good at it. And all of a sudden you're getting all these messages from all these different perspectives and techniques, which enable people to kind of ping off of each other and draw all this like greater meaning out of an event rather than feeling like they have to go to someone specifically who is in contact with some kind of higher consciousness or truth than themselves. It's a democratizing process in a way. Yeah. So seances are group events, like in the sense that the participants are also channeling messages. Yes. Yes. Um, um, we make uh, we make it possible for everyone to um, receive messages and talk about those messages, mm-hmm. basically when they receive them. Um, the seance is about for us 
is about creating that liminal space where everyone has this unique opportunity to see what's possible, not only just with us mm-hmm. working and getting messages, but with them. And we didn't really understand this when we started to do seance. It was really after we had done it a few times, we realized just how powerful this ritual was. Yeah. Um, when we first started, there was a sense of, oh, well, this is how we connect with spirit. And that's true. But then moving beyond that, it became a moment to say, well, this is a way that everyone can kind of connect with spirit. And that might be one of the reasons why seances were so popular at the turn of the century was that there was a truly like kind of, again, democratizing force behind it, where you did not have to be a certain religion. You didn't have to be a certain, you know, practitioner. You You didn't have to practice before you didn't have to practice. You could join people and see what comes through. Um, And it's always kind of shocking. Um, (laughs) Sometimes people have really, some people will have extremely like vivid and realized experiences Mm -hmm. and others may not have much more than like a mental impression or some pendulum communication or something flickering through their scrying surface, Mm -hmm. but still engaging in that ritual. There's messages that seem to come through for those, for, for everyone Mm -hmm. in some way. Mm -hmm. So for both of you, what is it like being in contact with spirits on a daily level? How does it become part of your daily life? Do you have boundaries Mm -hmm. around it? Yes, absolutely. We have boundaries and uh, we have, I guess, almost daily rituals because we know that we both are in contact with the spirit world and want to maintain that contact. We have like daily meditative practices where we set aside this time to like receive the spirit activity. Um, And once we do that and we are careful with setting boundaries and being protected. We don't usually have any interruptions for the rest of the day because we've created that space. Right. And some people may feel very comfortable being open to spirit all the time. I think because we approached seance as more of like a ritual moment and then a, um, then like a kind of burden where I I've spoken with some mediums who feel like, Oh, well, like this is my, this is my thing. Like this is my cross to bear. The spirits are always with me and I have to receive messages from them. If I was raised in that tradition, I might feel that way, but because I approached this through ritual for me, it makes sense to set those boundaries. And that's also part of what might come just from heritage. Like I come from a space of like a culture that's pretty closed off uh, to uh, social communication and social dynamics. Uh, The Pennsylvania Dutch background within me makes me more, uh, sometimes a little bit more not quite as friendly. Not quite as friendly. Um, so you wouldn't I wouldn't know. I know. Yeah. I'm working on it. But I, I'm always, <laughs> I don't think I'd be comfortable being someone who approaches someone in a grocery store, for example, and saying, Your grandfather's with you and he wants to tell you X. Because I immediately feel like if someone did that for me, I'd be super uncomfortable. <laughs> so well, that doesn't mean if you do that, it's bad. It just means that's not how we do it. Uh, So for us, it's all about setting the appointments kind of with spirit and being like, we're open to hear from you, but on these terms and these places, 
And if you don't want to show up for that, that's fine too. Cause there's an element of, I think some kind of dialogue around consent yeah. and spirit contact, mm-hmm. uh, that is important to us. I really appreciate this because I think that this is a far ranging concept and a lot of different realms, like for the writer, for the artist who has a relationship with the muse and doesn't let it wake them up in the middle of the night to the person who can feel other people's feelings and get psychic messages for people. And they choose to do that for a career instead of just doing it for people at the grocery store, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, or knowing how to turn these things on or off or give them space, I think is really an important skill set. And one, it's just important to know it exists because I think that the narrative of like, oh, I just am beholden to this is something that is just a story, you know, and like having developed the techniques, it's just good. I just want to signal boost that. Yeah. I, I appreciate that because I do feel like, you know, it's, it's your house, it's your rules. Like if it makes you uncomfortable, then you should be able to say, I'm going to back off. And in our experience, we found spirit can be kind of needy. Sometimes spirits are often trying to process things and move through things that, uh, not to be cliche, they didn't accomplish in life, but sometimes there really is a sense of, uh, a paternalistic spirit being like, I really just want you to keep the family together. But like, if your family was garbage to you and you experienced a lot of trauma there, maybe you shouldn't keep the family together. Maybe that's not your responsibility. And we want to make sure people are empowered to make that decision and not feel like, oh, I suffered abuse, like, or I suffered trauma. And now I have to do this because, you know, this consciousness wants me to. Mm-hmm. Um, giving people that space to breathe is important. That's really interesting because it is after all, like it's a particular being from the spirit world. And so it's almost similar to a person giving us advice. And when a person Mm -hmm. gives us advice, we don't think that we have to take it. So if a spirit gives us advice, we can also be discerning, I guess it sounds like. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, Spirit may have greater perspective on the situation. some mediums or just others as well believe that once you die, you go through through this life review, um, which gives you kind of perspective and which might make you want to reach out to certain people to say, okay, here are the things I wish I had done differently. Um, But it doesn't necessarily give you special knowledge. So spirits, the spiritualist church generally says spirits don't have specialized knowledge. They just have maybe this perspective or they help give you these messages that you need to hear at the moment. Yeah. I like to think about it as like talking with your mom, right? Like your mom might know you. She's might be an integral part of your life for a very long time, but that doesn't mean your mom's always right. (laughs) That doesn't mean that you can't make different decisions. So, um, I would like to hear more too about, you know, the relationship that both of you have with the concept of death or the reality of death, um, as it pertains to your work and what you've learned. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good question. I don't know if we have the same relationship to death as we do with each other. Um, That's true. For me, uh, 
I've had a complicated relationship with death. Um, I don't think I want to get too heavy with this, but <laughs> at this point, I enjoy considering death in a way that is, it's almost like a motivator. Um, mm. My own eventual passing is that sort of ending of my ability to work things in the world. So I'm motivated to do the things I want to do now and to make the positive changes I want to make now, because I know I won't have that same opportunity after I have passed. Um, although I might believe in reincarnation, <laughs> <laughs> I have different theories about uh, what happens after you die, but I do view death like as a positive like part of the human experience, which might sound really, really strange. Um, but I think there are aspects of it that are not all just something you should avoid thinking about. Yeah. I think we're similar in that regard in that death is a taboo subject in culture. People are afraid of it. People are afraid to talk about it. I think the, I think, uh, the recent like kind of, um, ongoing crisis uh globally has been a proof of that uh people pandemic, having yeah. all yeah having like this kind of moment of or now a year to really discuss and dig into what does this mean how does this affect people and i don't think we've still kind of like really engaged with that um or dug very deeply into what death can be and what it is mm -hmm. Um, so we have a lot, we do a lot of work, uh, we do some lectures and we do attend and hopefully one day we'll be hosting some like death cafes within the death positivity movement, which is a space where people can really talk about death and can talk about like end of life planning if they want to, um, sometimes talk about grieving, although that's not really the focus. Um, and then also talk about like the philo philosophical implications of what is it to go through that process? Mm -hmm. Um, what is, what is the dying process like? Mm -hmm. I will say I used to be like really afraid of death. Um, it wasn't until I started doing this work that I felt less afraid of it. I used to be almost a hypochondriac. I was afraid that everything was wrong with me and I would be dead. But in having conversations with spirit and seeing kind of this tangent, tangible, uh, ex having this tangible experience of consciousness is working through us and talking through us. There is a real space of being like, well, no, something is still, something's still cooking. Um, but what is the process of getting here for, to there? Like, what is that cooking process about? It feels like more of a transition, more mm -hmm. like a stage than it ever has felt before. And I think if people engaged with that and talked about it, it wouldn't be such a, a specter. Um, it wouldn't be such a, a real like frightening or fearful thing. Um, well, yeah. And it would change how we grieve too. Mm -hmm. If we were able to talk about death and hold space for people who are grieving properly and not just, you know, isolate them until they, stop, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we're very inspired by the death positivity movement. 
and I guess inspired by our experiences with seance. Mm -hmm. What is the death positivity movement? That's a good question. Um, I believe it has been pioneered by Caitlin Dowdy. Yeah, the Order of the Good Death we started the Order was of the started Good Death. by in 2011 by uh, Caitlin and she is a she's a mortician and like kind of uh, activist and mm -hmm. she wanted to create a space where people could engage in that process because as someone who worked in the like the the death industry uh, she was able to kind of see that moment from getting a body in to how it was kind of whisked away from families and she her youtube channel uh, anyone Ask can a search mortician. it yeah, she goes into depth on this and mm -hmm. we don't want to steal her thunder or speak to that. We wouldn't steal her thunder. <laughs> yeah. But um, that movement has kind of matriculated out into spaces uh, often held by like public libraries or universities where people can just gather for free mm -hmm. for a set period of time to talk about, you know, what happens when we die and how. Yeah, they're trying to destigmatize talking about death and um destigmatize like preparing for your own death even which is something that most of us should do for the sake of those who will have to eventually uh, care for that yeah uh, one portion of it that's always stuck out to me was this idea that uh, death has been kind of taken away from families taken away from family members and that's okay for some people some people just don't want to deal with like you know, a dead body, but we've come to this place as a society where we like think a dead body is like bad or diseased or, or will hurt us or is unsafe. And that's not necessarily true. Um, and part of like rich cultural experiences throughout the world has been that process of someone has died. And now what are we going to do with this body in that? Like, where is this body going to be? How are we going to move this body? These things are all um, a component that's kind of been extracted from, from the process of moving from life to being passed. So this is something that I think has always kind of stuck out to me. And I think is something I try to engage with because when my, my grandfather passed, which was like my first experience with someone passing, not only was there this spiritual contact where I literally saw like his spirit or his ghost uh, before I knew he had died, which was wild. Um, there was also this element of, you know, his body being there at like, you know, my grandmother's house and the family coming and waiting for, you know, the mortician or the, uh, yeah, the, the, that like funeral service kind of thing. And the way in which that affected people was powerful. Um, the way in which that affected people of being in the room and feeling that was something I had never experienced. And I saw the way it changed people um, and their processing of this. That's so interesting. I I've tended to notice that when someone passes, it feels like people more readily access meditations on that person's essence. Like there's an energy in the field of people contemplating that person, that person's transition creates something in the air where people mourn, people sing, people write poetry, people reflect or write these beautiful pieces. And it feels like 
it's not just that they're moved emotionally by the person passing, but that the energy in the air has changed. And somehow we have more access to understanding a person's full essence. That's one way that I've thought of it. Yeah. yeah that's there's, really interesting. There is, that is interesting. And it's, it's interesting in that we see that kind of similar overlap with like the seance work or the work of directly contacting spirits, even absent a body. Uh, there's like this kind of perception that within this work that like maybe, you know, mediums just give messages of some kind, but that interface and interaction with spirit often results in like, you know, discussions around uh, the things you're discussing, discussions around uh, poetry or art or singing. Um, And while we don't do hymns in our seance, because that's not part of the ritual we've built, historically, that was an active part of seance was like this joining in singing songs and engaging in like the remembrance of these people. So I think that's interesting, especially on like a level of like talking about channeled works and channeled poetry and that kind of thing. What do you think is the, um, the emotional impact that you've seen for people who come to the seances? Well, um, it is a very emotional event. Um, and we have at this point, um, prepared well and, and known to bring tissues because um, people will generally feel um, comfortable enough to to weep. Um, it is it's a powerful thing to receive messages from someone that you loved, um, who you haven't heard from a long from in a long time, and this event we've been able to create something where they feel comfortable to experience those emotions and come away with this. We've often heard from people. It is a healing process for people. Yeah. Which was something we traditionally kind of pushed against when we started this work, because for us, there was that element of healing for sure, but we weren't like looking to be healers. I've always kind of felt like that was a little it was something I wasn't able to access. Right. We didn't think we were healers. Yeah. Right. But the space creates a, an opportunity for that. So there is that real, like, you know, extremely emotional component of it. Um, and then there's also, there's validation and there's a real sense of exploration too. Like I think, there's a a tendency to look back on seances and be like, Oh, this is all just a bunch of people. Like there are these grief vampires, which is a phrase, you know, we hear sometimes about mediums. I've never heard that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. It's been directed at um, mediums by like hardcore, like um, debunker communities as like, Oh, they're just grief vampires. And it's interesting to use a mythical term for the skeptic. Yeah. Yeah. But there's something there. (laughs) I don't think that that's like particularly fair for a number of reasons, because in our events and our direct confrontation and um, exploration with people who join us, Mm -hmm. there may be an element of emotional like upheaval or an element of grief, but very few people come to a seance in our experience Mm -hmm. because they're actively grieving someone Mm -hmm. because they are, they just lost someone 
a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, and they want to contact them. And please, if there's just any way I can hear from them, that is rarely the case. And I think historically, uh, if we look at the documentation, that's also rarely the case. It's generally people who have been touched in some way by death or some way by spirit, ghosts, um, hauntings, whatever, who just want to see like, is there something beyond this? And that I think is the real component is people who are like disillusioned with maybe a materialistic worldview or a worldview that's centered on like an enchantment of capitalism um, and instead want to move towards like really a last ditch kind of like, is there something though? Like, could there possibly be something? When we started, we expected that there would be, you know, people who were very like were either grief stricken or who were heavily into the occult or were practicing witches. And we do see that um, practicing witches joining us. Um, but I was shocked by the number of people who had like come out of like the evangelical church who like I had left that tradition, who came out, who came from that and were like, yeah, I still believe in all that stuff because I guess I have to, but like, just give me something like what's going on here. Can I see the paranormal? Can I experience something beyond just this, this life I'm living? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been found like absolutely transformational, I think for us and for our guests. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So there's, there's kind of like a range of people that are coming to this. Um, and that's interesting to think about too, because I think as practitioners of anything kind of spiritual or mystical, that question of like, do skeptics come in? How do you relate with that? And that you're, you're definitely like delivering something that can shake the skeptic, uh, which is pretty cool. It is fun. Um, it is weird. It can be fun. Yeah. Um, we do we do get some skeptics, and they're almost always the partner of the wife yes. <laughs> who, have, who has brought them. Yeah. Um, but they almost always come away with a good experience mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of doubt towards what they believed before. And I think it's important to point out that like Kat and I classify ourselves to a degree as skeptics. We try in that we try to be skeptical. We do because this is weird stuff and it's weird for us. Like it's weird to get a message that you have no way of like knowing where all of a sudden there's this thought that doesn't feel like your thought or a taste that doesn't feel like, you know, the way your mouth normally tastes, if you can imagine (laughs) that. Um, And then you, you just kind of have to move on trust Mm -hmm. that this will mean something. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, Oh, you know, I'll move on trust that this general vagary will mean something. But when you get a name, like in our last seance where the name Noel came through and organ music from a Catholic church and the name Francis. And it was like, I have to say these things because they've come to me. And they're insistent in a way. And they're insistent. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what happens if I'm just crazy? Like, I feel that a lot. Like what happens if I'm just crazy? And then you say that. And then someone's like, Noel is my grandfather. Francis is my grandmother. They met playing organ music in a Catholic church. That was their jobs for their entire life. And you're like, what, what, what do you do with that? That's cool. Yeah. 
I love that. It is. I really, um, I'm kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum with the whole skeptic thing, like skepticism and cynicism. I'm just like, so not about it. (laughs) I just like dive fully. (laughs) And there's something about like, you know, I guess I've already been thought of as crazy and whatnot. And so, and there's something about believing in yourself or believing in your magic that I think is powerful too. And, uh, yeah. So that's interesting to hear though, you know, either way, when you're having this direct experience of channeling something and how you relate to having that gift, um, and still letting it come through you. And I like just the acknowledgement of how weird it is and that you just, you know, go along with it. I think a lot of people would be able to relate to that. Yeah. There's an element of definitely leaning in because that's another fascinating component of, I think magic, um, and also seance is the more you, um, like feed it, the more you work with it, the more, it reinforces itself, the stronger it seems to become, which is, I think one of the most fascinating things about seances is you're surrounded by people who also are having these experiences at the same time. So it's like a belief reinforcement too. So then the messages seem to amplify it or come through stronger because you're not just sitting alone in your house and wondering if that, you know, thing that fell over had been precariously balanced for four hours and just happened to fall over when you asked for a sign or if it fell over because, you know, there's something in the house with you and you asked for a sign. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to talk through that when there's a group of people working with you. That's true. Yeah. We need to have our, our communities. Um, I also really wanted to know about the celebrity occultist. So that's like mm-hmm. the name on Instagram and whatnot and just yeah. what that means. Yeah. So when we were coming up with uh, the name and thinking about our mission and what we wanted to present to the world, we kind of, we love the occult and we wanted to kind of be public educators in the occult. So the name celebrity occultist was kind of a way for us to say, we want you to know about us so that we can all be talking about the occult. <laughs> yes. And beyond that, and the group, there's something paradoxical about the occult, um, something paradoxical about magic. There's this weird, like, again, liminal kind of in-between state to a lot of magical workings or rituals where um, we wanted to kind of play with that paradox. And if the occult is hidden and occultists are supposed to be hidden. Well, then what is the paradox of the celebrity of occultist? Yes. The celebrity who must be seen and who is public facing, talking about this hidden thing. Um, I love the almost surrealist combination of those two words. The um, impossibility of it. The impossibility <laughs> of it, the opportunity of it, and the fact that we have to recognize, and I know a lot of occultists bristle when you say you need to be public facing, because the occult and esoterra and witchcraft can often be an extremely solitary practice. And there are historical reasons that it was an extremely solitary practice. There are very modern reasons. There are modern. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> for it being a solitary practice. Exactly. But then there are also um, being solitary, being hidden doesn't necessarily mean that problems won't come and find you. Um, And we've seen that before historically with the pushback against the seance movement in the uh, 20s and 30s, 
We saw it repeated again with the satanic panic in America in the 70s and the satanic panic in the 90s in Britain. And we're on the verge of what I feel is potentially another satanic panic with um, conspiracy theory mongering and yeah, occult panic, like QAnon and like the QAnon shaman. Like people are talking around what I think is a very healing and interesting and powerful practice of self-fulfillment and self-spiritual development, but lumping it in with extremely negative forces or ideas. And so it's important to have a counterbalance, someone who's out there saying, well, it doesn't have to be that. You don't, if you believe in the the occult, you don't, or you believe in esoteric practices, you don't have to be, you know, storming the capital (laughs) a fascist or, you know, doing some kind of like um, heinous act Oh gosh. As per the satanic panic. Yeah. So we want to be out there so that other people can feel more comfortable. Yeah. And we found that that's already been the case. Like newspapers have reached out to us about with questions just about our work. Um, and we've tried to be um, as accessible as possible. Uh, that's why like we do a lot of education on the topic, even though um, we're not primarily educators. I don't education is a big component in what we do. We even have a little in the seance. It's true. Because I think that like, for me, that is a tool for empowerment, mm-hmm. like knowledge. And, and that's my life story. Yeah. Like getting into this and learning more about magic has been so freeing and empowering and has allowed me to do this, like the best work I've ever done in my life. Like <laughs> I want to share that possibility with others. Yeah. I absolutely love this, you know, meditation on having a public life and just like making that choice um, and the reasons behind it. Like it sounds, you know, I can relate to it even with like the astrology community, like people can get upset that there's people saying things that aren't true about astrology or people who are practicing it unwell. And it's like one of the best things you can do when you have a vision that you think is important is to lead by example and let it be seen. And I don't think everyone wants to be seen in that way or wants to be in the public. It is a responsibility. But I think that for those who genuinely feel called, uh, it can be very generous. It can be very generative for society and it can spread a message. Um, So I think it's really cool that both of you, you know, have that sense of purpose, um, and are able to bring this into people's lives, um, in a way that, you know, comes from the integrity and the space that you're creating around it. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is, a hopefully just the beginning of a long career in advocacy almost (laughs) of the occult. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Both of you have a very like magical and intriguing energy. And, you know, earlier you brought the word weird in, um, Dan and like the definition of weird, like the technical definition has something to do with magic and people don't use it that way. Like people use the word weird and they don't mean magical, but inherently it is something mystical. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that in and, Yeah. I mean, I'm all about, all about the weirdos, all about being weird, (laughs) all about being publicly weird. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's exciting to, to bring that into the conversation. Um, and it is, 
you know, it's been a pleasure to talk with you about it because I don't actually know that many. I don't know if I know anyone who creates seances uh, before this. I've definitely talked to mediums and been um, blown away by what they can see, you know, and it's a real part of life. And I think that having conversations about it can be important for then all the little things that come up, you know, people who, who don't know how to control the, that gift, you know, or manage it in some sense and the problems that come with that. Um, so yeah, it's all very exciting. And I think that it will be a long and rewarding career. Well, well, thank thanks. You. I hope so. <laughs> so. I hope we can keep doing this work. Yeah. Um, I do think it's a positive in the world. I think it speaks to a need in the world and it's a very it's a magical ritual and who doesn't want to do those <laughs> yeah yeah there's the the element of people engaging with something beyond them and having this kind of affirming group experience just it's everything that i would hope to see in an event and a ritual space um, something tangible so how can people like find out more about you or attend any of these seances? Yeah, every month uh, we right now, everything's digital because of the pandemic. Um, so we uh, every month we'll do a virtual seance um, when, in which we actually ship out a box of supplies. So if someone feels like they don't have the ritual tools they need to join in a seance, we have you covered. We supply those. And those are limited to 11 guests plus Kat and I. So there are 13 of us. It's a small uh, digital ritual that occurs, um, as again, I said, monthly. Um, and then if you're maybe just more interested in stepping your toe in the water, you don't necessarily want to join in a ritual with a few other people. We do something called spirit summonings, which are, again, virtual. They happen monthly. And they're more of a, a space where people can come in larger numbers and Kat and I will do as many readings um, of spirit as we have time in the, in the mm -hmm. allotted time and try and hit as many people as we can and just kind of share in this space, give someone a connective, like kind of um, introductory experience, if you will. Yeah. And then um, we are always posting we are online <laughs> yes we are terminally online <laughs> we are uh, at at the dot eckharts on instagram the eckharts.com is our website and we uh, keep that relatively updated with blogs but we write a lot about like our work within you know paranormal investigation seances um divination divination that's practices. a big part of our work yeah and then um, we are on TikTok. We're of course we're on TikTok, so you can find us there at the Eckhart's too. Uh, <laughs> so there's there are lots of opportunities for people to engage with us. And if you feel like you know you want to sit down and work with us for just like a one-on-one -on -one reading, we do that as well. That's all at our website. Our events are on our website. Um, one of the biggest things though that we're currently doing is the School of Occult Arts. Uh, which is an online school, which we do with um, an incredible uh, artist in which Isabel Rizzo, uh, she's worked with Atlas Obscura, Goop, a few other places. And we so partner with her to um, really teach what we know. Um, and Isabel teaches what she knows as well. And that's a comparison of like history, ritual craft, kind of... Some how-tos, divination, how -tos, herbalism, 
physical magic. Yeah. It's so, a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So if you <laughs> want to learn with us, uh, the School of Occult Arts is a place to do it. And we have a new thing, which we'll be dropping an announcement for coming shortly on our Instagram page, which has to deal directly with seances. So if you're interested in that and want to engage with us more deeply, maybe in a small group capacity, there'll be more information coming. Yeah. Exciting. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Well, thank you for having us. This was a great time. It was good to talk to you a little bit, Sabrina. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Definitely go check out the Eckhart's on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram as well at Sabrina Monarch if we're not already connected there. And If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. It has several videos of content, um, several hours really of content about the intersection between astrology and manifestation and some of the deeper principles behind cosmic creativity, AKA creating your dream life or creating your reality, which is something that, you know, as a magical kind of thinker, I think about and practice every day and it's a lifestyle and it's something I love to talk about. So I would love to share that with you. And I also really appreciate the support for this podcast. It truly means the world for me and is a really impactful thing that you can do to show your support of this content that's shared here. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you have a magical week. Bye.